So tonight, I have been given the privilege of sharing with you about Bible basics and prophecy. And I don't know how to do basics and prophecy in the same sort of way, but I'll do the best I can. So turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24, and I don't know if we'll get there, but you can put your finger in Ezekiel 38 and in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I don't know if we'll get in any, either of those places. We'll touch on them for sure, but, but uh, we'll see how much time we have. We, should we go to like 10 o'clock tonight? What do you think? Like three people said, amen, go for it. The rest of you are like, I want to go to bed. <laughs> All right, so uh, in just preparation for this and thinking about Bible prophecy, why study Bible prophecy? What, why is it important to study prophecy? Well, first thing is to understand that, that uh, you're searching for truth. And, and Paul said in 2 Timothy that all Scripture is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. So every Scripture that's in Scripture is valuable, right? It's good for us. And uh, we find a third of the Bible is prophecy. Some could argue even more than that. And so prophecy is a validator of Scripture, right? It, it says in 2 Peter 1, uh, 19, for we have the word of the prophets more certain or more sure. We have a more sure word of prophecy. And you do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a, dark, in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Uh, Bible prophecy is, is an evidence that the Bible is, inspired, is the inspired word of God. The prophecies that have been fulfilled confirms the word of God and the prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled will further confirm. And because all the prophecies that have already been fulfilled they make us realize and know that the other prophecies will be fulfilled. Also, prophecy reveals who the Lord really is. Revelation 19.10 is a great verse to be aware of and familiar with when it comes to biblical prophecy. It says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. In other words, prophecy, sometimes people get caught up in following prophecy seminars or prophecy people, and they say, well, they, you, know, you can kind of get distracted from Jesus. Not if you keep Jesus in the center of prophecy, which is what he is. He's in the center of it. Um, biblical prophecy is all about Jesus Christ from Genesis to Revelation. In fact, it's right there in Genesis where Genesis 3.15 is, is a prophecy that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And we talked about that a number of months ago on a Sunday morning. So the fulfillment of prophecy reveals that Jesus is the divine son of God. And so we see this. We see that this is a clear thing from Scripture. And God addressed history this way, that the Messiah would come and would be fulfilled in prophetic ways. God spoke these things. The other thing, though, about prophecy that I was thinking about is that it promotes 
an evangelistic church. In other words, when you believe the Lord's coming back, there's a stirring that's going on in your life and mine, right? And so if you really think the Lord could come at any time, you want to tell your friends and relatives that. In fact, I will tell you, it's one of the things that, that impacted me in my time before I knew Christ is my sister would tell us that Jesus was coming soon. Now, that was over 40 years ago, but soon is relative, <laughs> you know, because a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. You say, wow, 40 years ago, you're being told Jesus was coming soon. It's still soon. And it's 40 years closer than it was then. So that much more reason to tell people Jesus is coming soon, right? And if you really believe that Jesus is coming soon, and you know people that don't know Christ, you're gonna have a heart to wanna see them know Christ. You're gonna wanna bring them into the family and see them come into the family. And it was used in the scripture as an evangelical tool. You remember that Philip talked to the Ethiopian eunuch there in the book of Acts, and the Ethiopian eunuch was reading out of Isaiah 53, and he said, I don't understand this, what does this mean? Philip said, well, that's a prophecy. Basically, I mean, I'm paraphrasing. He, he showed him that it was about the Messiah. It was about Jesus Christ, and he gave him the gospel. The prophetic understanding of Isaiah 53. And so on. Many other places, of course, the same thing. The other thing is, and this is the one I really want you to grab hold of. Prophecy, there's one more, but this one, prophecy gives us a hope. Biblical prophecy is something that gives you hope in a hopeless age. Aren't we living in a hopeless age, you guys? And how much more do we not know, need to know that there's more to things than what we see on CNN? Amen, praise the Lord. Right? There's more than what is being put out there by our media. There's truth behind what's happening. We're going to talk about some of that tonight. There's there's reasons why some of these things are happening that are prophetic in nature. And they impact our world, and we then have hope. We have hope in an eternal trust in God, in eternal nature, in eternal things, that we're not just hoping in this world. Man, if we're hoping in this world, I mean, what are we gonna hope in? We're gonna hope in the vaccination? We're going to hope in the, you know, the CDC? Are we going to hope in, well, you know, I could fill in the blanks. <laughs> We're going to hope, even, you know, a lot of, I think, you know, Mike was saying this today, we're talking about this today, and maybe a lot of Christians actually put their hope in President Trump and thought, oh, you know, because Trump's president, that's a reprieve, we're going to be good with this. You know, some Christians said, uh, I'm not putting my hope in that at all. But, uh, you know, the, the fact that the church in some ways maybe did that, well, maybe that's one of the reasons he's not president anymore because God wants us to hope in him. See, we don't have to be discouraged or alarmed by what we see going on in this world. We can have joy because we know the end of the story. That's prophecy. The Bible tells us the end of the story, amen? God wins, guaranteed. The other thing is, and this uh, I think uh, 
Yeah, and then we'll go on to the text. The prophecy gives us understanding of the purity that God calls us to. First John chapter two, or chapter three, sorry, verses two and three says, Beloved, we are now the sons of God, and has not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when we shall when he shall appear, that we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We're gonna be changed. And he says, every man that has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. In other words, the hope that we're going to see the Lord is something that helps purify us, keep us pure. That's an important thing. So, um, I believe prophecy can change your life if you get into it deeply, and I think it's really valuable. So we're going to cover some prophetic words today, uh, and I chose, I was looking at a bunch of different scriptures, but I came back to Matthew 24 because, to me, this is the most complete layout for us of what's going to take place, and of course it comes from the very mouth and heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Matthew 24, verse 1, Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to him to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone will be left upon another, that all shall be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, tell us what these things are. When will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, earthquakes, and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of sorrows, or that word there is birth pangs. Birth pangs. Now, by the way, when you start to, when the woman starts to have birth pangs, it's time to get ready. You know, and birth pangs, by the way, are no fun. I, I've never felt them, but I've heard. And I've been there for four different times when the birth pangs started. And we didn't go, the birth pangs are here, oh, don't you feel good. <laughs> it was the birth pangs are here and, and then rush and feel like you got to rush around and get to the hospital. I was the one always rushing around at that point. My wife was like, they just started. Like, we'll be a while. And I was always like, just let's get to the hospital because I don't want to deliver this baby. You know? <laughs> But we're living in times of birth pangs, aren't we not? Times of unrest and instability, economic instability, political instability. We're trying to find our way, so to speak, as a world. We kind of need to call 911 on our world to God. <laughs> Jesus gave us this warning. First of all, he talks about the destruction of the temple. And 
This temple was built, remember, by Ezra and Nehemiah and Zerubbabel. Nehemiah built the walls of the temple. Zerubbabel and Ezra came and built the temple. And the temple was then the center of Jewish life. It was there for a thousand years. And then Herod later came. He, during that thousand year period, he really fixed it up nice. He made it ornate. And that's what Jesus is looking at. He's looking at Herod's temple, which had the basis of Ezra and Nehemiah's temple to it. And this temple was incredible. In fact, one stone on the temple, temple could be 50 feet long and as high as 18, as 50 feet long and high, and 18 to 20 feet thick. And they were laid without mortar. They were piece by piece connected to each other, so much so that they say you couldn't put a knife in between. And I've seen some of these stones in Israel, and they're massive stones. You wonder, how did they do it, you know, engineering-wise? I, I, it's amazing. And the disciples come to Jesus with this, and they ask him, What's, what, what about the temple? What about these things? And Jesus says, not one stone will be left upon another, he tells them. Now, this would be like going to Washington, D.C. and walking around like with the Capitol building or the or the Lincoln Memorial, or the Washington Monument, or something like that, and we see all these buildings, and we're walking around there, and we're with the, uh, we're with the Messiah, let's say, and we walk, and we, we say, Lord, what's going to happen? Not one stone will be left upon another. All this is coming down. You see, the temple didn't impress Jesus. Those buildings don't impress Jesus. Remember, he created the world in six days. So a temple, buildings, it's not a big deal. I think of the, the new uh, Freedom Tower. Do you know that that thing is 2.6 million square feet? It's 200 feet high on the base alone. It's 1,368 feet tower height. And with the tower extension antenna, it's 1,776 feet. And, you know, it's a massive building. But it's just a building, right? See, Jesus came to build his church. And he said, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. We sometimes look at the outward things and we think, wow, look at that. But Jesus is much more interested in the spiritual. Well, we know this prophecy came true. Because in 67 AD, Titus Vespasian besieged Jerusalem. And for the next three years, as he besieged the city of Jerusalem, he destroyed this temple. And there was so much gold in the temple when they burned the city and they burned the areas around here, Josephus tells us that they actually moved every single stone to get at the gold. So not one stone, literally not one stone was left upon another. When you go to Jerusalem, you actually see a pile of stones by the wall of the temple, wall, wall, the temple wall, the original wall, one of the sections of the original wall. And it's very interesting as we go there because you think of that. You can't help but think of as these stones are piled up that that's what it was like. So Jesus, he already tells them this is a fulfillment of prophecy. We already know that that takes place. So prophecy is clearly fulfilled. And so he sits on the Mount of Olives and he says, this is what's going to happen. They want to know what will be the signs of the times. And that's a natural question, of course. And he tells them that the temple's going to fall, 
And what are the signs they say? And the signs are laid out for us here. He says, first of all, take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. So deception is part of the last days. Anybody seeing anything deceiving today? Deception is the name of the game. In fact, the playbook, if you get caught in trouble these days and you're a celebrity, the playbook is lie, lie some more, and when they ask you again, just lie again. That's what they've done. You know, I think from my lifetime, it started back with the Clintons where they started to lie, just lie about it. And, and, you know, they lied and lied and lied and lied and lied and they seem to be doing okay. They're still sitting in their mansion. And this is what goes on in our world, deception. Truth is hard to find these days. And so... He says they'll deceive many, and he says there'll be many of these Christs who are raised up. And there's been a list of lots of different men through the years who've been raised up as men who claim to be Christ. Simon Magnus, uh, Sung Young Moon, Charles Manson, one time called himself Jesus Christ. Yahweh Ben Yahweh, if you got that name, you know who knows. (laughs) Brian David Mitchell. David Koresh, even some women, Maria Deva, Devi Christos. And many of these who, who give their names, you know, we, and we have, we have false teaching. That's the other thing is he says there'll be deception and false teaching. There are those who are out there and all they're out there for is a buck on the radio and on TV and the internet. And you can spot them very quickly if you pay attention. They spend all their time begging for money and not giving really any substance. And they're deceiving many. And many are following them. False doctrine. And it's being accepted even within orthodox circles. You know, back when I first became a believer, and probably 10 years into it, you pretty much could know by the name of a church if it was relatively orthodox, you know, I mean, it had an, an evangelical kind of name or sometimes in some cases the Baptist names and things like that, you kind of could know this church is probably pretty orthodox. You know, they, they teach from the word at least. They teach the Bible to some degree. They believe in the main things of, of Christianity. But things have changed so much that you can't tell. I mean, if, if somebody puts on a good show they put a band up there and they play good music and maybe they have a little light show going on and the pastor is slick and, and young and dynamic and you don't have to worry about that with me. But I mean, you know, there's guys like that out there. Or maybe they are like me. You might? No. <laughs> That's not working. But there'll be this kind of deception in the last days. You see, it's preparing you, preparing the world, I should say, for the great deception. That's what's going on. We are being prepared, the world is being prepared for the great deceiver who is called the Antichrist. And he's coming on the scene. In fact, Paul told Timothy 
to pray because perilous times are coming. Both in First and Second Timothy, he warned of, of this. He said, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter days, latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 speaks about the falling away, the apostasy of the church. I was looking up how many Christians are there in the world today as I was doing this study. I was, how many Christians? You Google, how many Christians? And you get all kinds of answers. You get anywhere from 600 million to as many as 2.5 billion. And the reason there's such a, a gamut there, such a huge gap, is there are many who call themselves Christians, many who have an affiliation with a so-called Christian church that has a cross on their door or they have a crucifix hanging up there, but are they truly Christians? And I'm not judging who is and who isn't. I don't know. My point is we can't figure out exactly who the Christians are and who aren't all, all, all together. But Paul goes on to say in, in 1 Timothy 4, he says, they'll come along deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. You see, I don't know about you, but I still get surprised by that stuff. When I hear and see that someone is, is really deceptive, I go, how can they do that? But Paul said they were going to do it. He told Timothy, this is what's going to happen. In 2 Timothy 3, he said, but know this, in the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Heavy words, man. See, we need to come back to what the Bible teaches. So back to Matthew, Jesus says there will be, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled. These things must come to pass. I jotted down some notes. Right now in the world, there are 865 wars going on. Now, by the way, that includes all the skirmishes and, you know, terrorist organizations, all the different groups out there going on in 70 different countries. That's a lot of wars. But think about the wars we've had in the past 150 years. World War I, World War II, Korean War, Vietnam War. These are just the wars we've been involved in. Oper Operation Urgent Fury. Operation Just Cause. Operation Desert Storm. Operation, they call them operations because that maybe doesn't sound like a war. Uh, Restore Hope, Somalia that one is. Operation Europe with Kosovo and Bosnia. Operation Enduring Freedom, Afghanistan. That's worked out well, right? Not so much. We'll talk about that in a minute. Operation Iraqi Freedom. All these wars, been, these are, there are 13 wars for every year of peace, according to one commentator. And he says that nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Now, a lot of people have called that superpower against superpower and these kinds of things. Uh, nation against nation, 
we have the technology in our world to destroy one another many times over. We're seeing chemical warfare now. Now, you know, you can, if you think this, I, I personally, do I want to go here? Lord, do I want to go here? <laughs> Somebody says yes. <laughs> you go for it, Chris, because I don't have to. <laughs> uh, you know, it's pretty clear that this virus was made in a lab, which would mean it could be chemical weapons. It could have been purposely put in the world this way to do what it's doing to the world. Now, I'm not saying it absolutely is. I don't know that. But it could be, and a lot of people think it is. See, I said it without saying it. Biological weapons. We have nuclear weapons. And even right now, with what's happened with Afghanistan, and again, I'll talk about that more in a minute, Iran has now said, you know, looking at our nation and the way we're responding to things, they're like, we're going nuclear. We don't care what you say. That deal you, we think we had with Iran, they don't care. And they have all the money because Obama gave it to them. So they can go nuclear. And they will. And do you think that Iran will have a nuclear weapon and not want to use it? What are they getting it for? We have the, already the nukes are, are hundreds of times more powerful than those used in World War II. And they killed between 50 and 100,000 people. Some say up to 120,000 people with the fallout afterwards. These wars are a lot different than in the days of muskets and spears, Right? And the thing is, wars and rumors of wars, there will not be true peace on this earth until the Prince of Peace rules and reigns from Jerusalem. Amen? And of course, the wars about the Middle East. And this is the thing. As we look at all this, Jesus is giving a general overview of what's going to happen. But it all relates back to Israel. Remember, all prophecy, when you look at prophecy, it's connected to two things. It's connected to Jesus Christ, and it's connected to Israel. That's prophecy. And anytime you get confused about that, I was listening to somebody who was trying to put America in the end times, and they're trying to fit it all in there, and how we're going to be involved in these things. I don't see it. And by the way, with what's happened with the conflict over there in Afghanistan with the Taliban overrunning the nation, you say, well, what's the pertinence? How is that pertinent to prophecy? How is that activity any connection to prophecy? Well, one of the things that I have said and many have said is that in order for biblical prophecy of Ezekiel 38 and 39 and I already can see I'm not going to get there to those verses, but there's verses in Ezekiel 38 and 39, if you want to read them, that talk about Gog and Magog and Meshach and the various nations, and you can line those nations up with Iran, Iraq, uh, Russia, uh, Syria. All these nations line up with their ancient names, and you can figure this out. You can find stuff on 
lying about this. You can go listen to Amir Safati. He's great with this stuff. Go to his webpage, Behold Israel. And you can, you can put this together where these nations are all going to come and they're going to come down into Israel. They're going to attack this little tiny nation of Israel. In fact, it says the nations of the north. And if you go north from Jerusalem, directly north is Moscow. And the ancient names for these are right there. Persia is Iran. And when you see these things coming to pass, you know, this, this war in the Middle East is going to impact the whole world. And the thing is, up until now, and I would say up until when our previous Democratic president was in office, we would have always stood with Israel. Always. For our whole history, from the history of 1948 when Israel became a nation, all the way through, if anyone messed with Israel, they'd be messing with the United States. But when Obama became president, that changed. You want to know something about what's going on in, in Afghanistan right now? One of the key leaders of the Taliban who's ruling right now in Kabul was in Guantanamo Bay. And our president let him out. He released him. He released, remember the Gang of Five? They released, anybody who reads the news, paid attention to Gang of Five, they released five of them. This guy was one of them. He's now one of the prominent leaders of that revolt in Afghanistan and of taking over the government. And listen, folks, they're killing our brothers and sisters right now. They're clearly, murders are going on. There's devastation. If you go on and watch the Google News, watch what's going on there. I mean, you know, people are falling from airplanes. It reminds you of the World Trade Center. People are grabbing onto C-130s, trying to get out of the nation, and then they can't get them into the thing. They're, they're packed in there like sardines and people are hanging onto the wheels, and then while they're flying away, and they're 2,000, 3,000 feet up, they're just falling. Now you think about how desperate people are to do that. You gotta be so desperate to wanna get out of that place. You know what the Taliban are like? They're like the, the ancient Assyrians who when they would come into a land, they were so fearful, people were so fearful of the ancient Assyrians that the whole cities would commit suicide rather than face the, 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 the uh, persecution that would come from the Assyrians. That's what the Taliban are like. Now you say, what does that do with Bible prophecy? The fact that America has sat down at the table with this guy, the fact that America is doing nothing about this. Our troops are sitting in the airport and they're doing nothing. And people are being murdered all over the nation. What this shows is America is weak. And I watched a thing by Amir today, and he said the day of America, um, I wrote it down. I wrote it down somewhere. <laughs> was something like the day of America's leadership in the world as far as the world order is over. And the world knows it. In fact, he put a quote up from China that basically said that. We can do what we want now because America will not do anything. 
And, and that's where we are. So what this means is Russia is sitting there, Iran is sitting there, Syria is sitting there. They're all waiting, they're all ready to come forward, and it's the perfect time for them because not only is America weak, but listen, Israel is weak. They removed Netanyahu from office, so now they're weak. So Ezekiel 38 and 39 are teed up. Now, I'm not saying it's going to happen or when it's going to happen. I don't know. But they are very much, they could make their move now more than ever before. It's the time is perfect for them to come against Israel. Now, by the way, remember, God wins. Don't get worried. But we've seen lots of other things. The instability in the region. Egypt fell a number of years ago. Libya fell a number of years ago. Egypt used to have a pact with Israel for 30 years, and they went Muslim Brotherhood. Skirmishes, things going on. And then we see there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. So you've got these wars and rumors of wars. You've got these, these things that are happening. You've got America's going to be out of the way. And this is my point to that. Let me just finish that real quick. I don't believe that we will say anything or do anything if Russia comes down and attacks Israel. We are not even an, an ally right now of Israel. In fact, the world is saying, look what America does to their allies. They leave them when they're in trouble. This is be, be, being called Biden's Saigon. And if you understand what happened in Saigon, you'll know what, you're, what that is. Saigon was the Vietnam War when they pulled out of Vietnam and they left the people. Same idea. And they left it to the communists. Only this is worse. So you have then these famines and pestilences in various places. Famines are all over the world. Pestilences. Anybody heard of COVID? And by the way, COVID isn't over. It's over. I think it's over. I'd love for it to be over. I want to, pro I want to proclaim it over, don't you? But it's not going to be over because they don't want it to be over. You realize that a lot of this is about control, right? And they've proven, you look at what happened with COVID. You look at how things came about. What was proven through a virus and fear is that the governments of the world can control the world through fear. And that's exactly what will happen when the Antichrist comes on the scene. Because if you're being told today, you're now, we're being told we may have to take vaccines in order to go into a restaurant. Well, how long is it going to be before we have to take vaccines before we can buy groceries? I don't know. I mean, I'm praying it doesn't happen. And, and by the way, I don't care where you come down on the vaccine. If you like the vaccine, get it. If you don't like the vaccine, don't get it. But here's the thing. Don't tell me what to do. Like, don't, don't tell me that I have to do this or have to do that. We have people right here in our church who are losing their jobs because uh, they're not being vaccinated. They don't want to be vaccinated. They've told their boss, and their boss has said, well, you have until such and such a date. If you don't get vaccinated, you're out. That's what's going on in our country right now. Pestilences. Losing freedoms. Now, by the way, here's the thing as Christians. I don't like losing my freedom. We're so used to freedom as Americans. The rest of the world, they don't have freedom anyway. 
You know, do you realize the lockdowns in the rest of the world have been 10 times worse than what we went, we've gone through? In the Philippines, Robert and his family, they were locked in their house for a year and a half. A little boy who couldn't go out and play. The same thing with, the, with the Peru. We talked to our friends in Peru. Completely locked down. You're allowed to go out once a day to get food. That's it. Eight o'clock curfew at night. So what we've been through is mild compared to them. And, and we look at it and we complain about it. I confess, I complain about it, but you know what it is? Get used to it. Because this is the way life's going to be. We're going to have our freedoms overrun. And is our fight to fight for our freedoms or would we rather fight for the gospel? I, for one, would rather fight for the gospel. Because we're never going back to quote-unquote normal. Never. What we once knew as normal. And we never lived in a time, by the way, when, when information is so readily available and yet information is being twisted, right? So we have famines, we have pestilences, we have earthquakes. We are seeing earthquakes all over the world. 32 earthquakes today in the world. Just a few days ago, we saw a huge earthquake in Haiti, 7.2. By the way, did you know there was an earthquake in Alaska? There was a 7.2 earthquake in Alaska the other day also. I guess they don't care to tell us about Alaska. <laughs> not that many people live there, I guess. And I must not have done much damage or we would have heard about that. And by the way, this word for earthquakes... It's cataclysmic events. It's not just earthquakes. It's hurricanes. It's floods. It's tornadoes. We just had tornadoes last week in New Jersey. When do we ever get tornadoes here? They ripped up houses and stuff in western Jersey. It's, it's all these things. Hurricane Sandy would fall into that. All these things fall into the same categories. And he says, these are the beginning of sorrows. Boy, I didn't get as far as I wanted to. Uh, let's go a little further. Jesus goes on to say later in the chapter, verse 36, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven. Now look, we have two events that are going to take place. We have the rapture of the church, and we have the second coming of Christ. So when we talk about Bible prophecy in, 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 in its effect to the church and the world, the way we live today, we are talking about those two major events. Those are the two major events yet to come. The rapture of the church will come, I believe, just before the tribulation period. Now, there's some who differ with this. They believe it's in the middle of the tribulation. Some put it right at the very moment of Ezekiel 38 and 39. I, I don't know for sure. We don't, this is the one why we, Jesus says no man knows the day or the hour because we don't know the day or the hour of the rapture. But by the way, we know the day and hour of his second coming. We actually know the exact day of Jesus' second coming. Did you know that? How do you know that, Chris? Let me see if I can find my notes on that. <laughs> Daniel chapter 12, he says, but of that time and day, the daily sacrifice is taken away. The abomination of desolation is set up. Jesus talks about that same thing in Matthew 24 
when the abomination of desolation is set up in the temple in Jerusalem. So that does mean, by the way, there needs to be a temple in Jerusalem during this time. So at some point, whether right after the rapture, right maybe before. And by the way, there's a group over there called the Temple Institute, and they have all the implementation, all the things ready to build the temple. They, they just are waiting for the right place, the right situation, the right time. But they're ready to build the temple. And you can guarantee they have the money to build the temple. There's an argument, by the way, about where the temple is to be. For many years, everybody thought the temple was the exact same site of the Dome of the Rock, which is the third most holy place in all of Islam. And so the Dome of the Rock is in the very center of the Temple Mount. But then some have now found they feel the temple was, they believe the temple is outside the, in the outer courts. And there's a verse, I believe it's in uh, Isaiah, that talks about the outer courts of the temple being given over to the pagans. In other words, that Dome of the Rock would be the outer courts of the temple. And so there's actually a little spot there we go when we go to Israel, when we walk up there and we, we're not allowed to really hang there because the Muslims know, the Arabs know that we're going there talking about the temple and they don't like it. But we've gone there and we kind of point out this is the spot they think it might be. And so there's a building of the temple. So when the abomination of desolation, which, which there's a precursor to this that took place in AD 70, Titus Vespasian brought a pig into the temple and slaughtered a pig on the altar in Herod's temple before they burned it down. And so he says when this takes place and is set up, Daniel 12, 11 says there will be 1,290 days. That's how we know the exact time when Jesus is coming back. No one knows the day or the hour, but no one knows the day or the hour, the rapture of the church. But we know the exact day when Jesus is coming back. We don't know when that day will be because we don't know when the abomination of desolation will take place. But 1,290 days from then is when Jesus will return. And he goes on in, in verse 21 of Matthew, he says, there'll be great tribulation much as has not been seen in the beginning of the world until this time, so will never be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh will be saved, but for the elect's sake they will be shortened. This is a horrible day on planet Earth. Billions will die. Now, if you calculate this out, if there's 7 billion people on planet Earth, I'm probably closer to 8 billion now, even if you're very aggressive with the, Christian, the number of Christians who are taken in the rapture, let's say two billion are taken in the rapture. The book of Revelation tells us that it calculates that 50% of the world population will die. So if there's six billion people left, that's three billion people that will die during the tribulation period. You realize, you know, when you hear of our friends, our, our, our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, of 229 of them being sentenced to death today, and I don't know if it happened or didn't, but they were sentenced today, to be put to death today. And you hear of that, and you go, oh no, 229. 3,000 people died in the towers in the Pentagon. Two billion 
people, three billion people, every single person on planet Earth will be impacted by this. That's how heavy the tribulation period is going to be. But Jesus goes on and says, learn the parable of the fig tree. He says, when the branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that the summer is near, and so also when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. The fig tree is Israel. Israel becoming a nation. Ezekiel 36, 37 talks about the bones becoming again. Them bones, them bones, them dry bones. Hear the word of the Lord. And they become, they come together. And from the bones of the Holocaust came the nation of Israel, was birthed. It blossomed. And it's an incredible land. And he says, you got from that time, you got to pay attention to the signs of the times, the sign of the abomination of desolation, the sign of Israel being the centerpiece of prophecy. In, in uh, Zechariah, I think it's at chapter 12, it talks about how Jerusalem is a cup of trembling to the whole world. What is it about this city of Jerusalem? Let me tell you, it's, there's not much there. It's a rock. That's what Jerusalem is. It's one big rock. But what's there is connected to the hearts of men. It's the place where Abraham took his son Isaac to sacrifice him. It's the place where Jesus was put to death on Mount Moriah. It's the place where David said he would build the temple and wasn't allowed to, but Solomon was. It's that place. And it burns in the heart of men. And that's what the battle is over in a worldly level. Verse 35, he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Listen, everything you have in life, it's all going to burn, you guys. But the words of Jesus Christ will last forever. Verse 37 says, but as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Here's what it was like in the days of Noah. Genesis chapter 6, it says, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man, this is how it's going to be, and we're starting to see this, wickedness, lawlessness. Just like it says in 2 Thessalonians, the man of lawlessness will come. Lawlessness. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Listen to the way he words this. And that every intent of the thoughts of the heart was only evil continually. People say, how could God destroy the earth under Noah? He could only find eight souls that were worth savings, saving. And the estimates, by the way, in the, if you calculate out the generations and how long they lived in those days, there could have been as many, many as two billion people on the earth. You can only find eight. And the wickedness was so bad that the thoughts of intents of his heart were only evil continually, and so the Lord was sorry he made, made man. And Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the last days. And then he goes on to say, there'll be uh, 
In the days of Noah, there was a flood. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. In other words, people are gonna be wicked, they're gonna be doing their own thing, they're gonna be eating, they're gonna be drinking, they're gonna be living life as the tribulation begins to go on around them, as the flood begins again. Not literally a flood, because God said he'd never destroy the world by flood, but he'll do it by fire and by pestilence. And they did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. They're not going to know it until he comes back. All right, well, let's wrap this up. Well, the verse I'm looking for that I can't think of where it is is, the, is where it says to be ready and look up. It's in Matthew 24. I just can't find it off the top of my head right now. 44, there we go. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Be ready. This is what the admonition. This is what Bible prophecy will do. It will stir your heart to be ready for the Lord's return. I pray tonight has given you a little taste of that. In Jesus' name.